0: All right,
1: so um, where we had concluded was, uh, or where we are picking up is the top of the second page of the lesson five, talking about the doctrine of God. Um, unless there were any questions lingering about the Trinity and the use of the word Trinity and um, and what do we learn about the Trinity from the Bible. Um, but the basic idea there is that the Trinity is, is something that is... Um, it's referred to multiple times in the Bible, and it's the only way to explain explain God. And what you really see is that each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is called God, um, is given you know names of God, is, has attributes that only God has, does things that only God does, and is given the same sort of praise, glory, and honor that only God is um, allowed. And so the, the only logical conclusion is that there must be three persons of, of one triune God, um, as opposed to some other ranking that says, you know, there's, there's like the top God, and then these other two that are like demigods or something like that. Um, the other one that you still find, you know, spooking around, um, this was actually a church, <laughs> Fairmont, Fairmont, Minnesota, a uh, town of 10,000 Um, 667 after we had our second child, 10,667. And it had 13 churches and another like four different, you know, Christian ministries of some sort. And, um, and then this one carpenter was sent to the town because the church body still owned a building in town and he was supposed to fix it up and sell it or something like that. And while he was there, apparently he felt the call of God to start a new church. Um, I think he just had indigestion from the Chinese restaurant, but, but I talked with him, and um, I, 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 I stand by that assessment. Um, but this church body was what they call the Oneness Pentecostals. Um, they aren't exceptionally popular, but they are still around. And so the Oneness Pentecostals um, basically say that there's only one God who wears three different masks at different times throughout history. And so, you know, there's the one God who revealed himself as a father um, during the time of the Old Testament. And then that God then put on the mask of the Son and revealed himself as the Son during the time of the New Testament. And then beginning at Pentecost, he reveals himself now as the Spirit. Um, but that he's just—he's just one God, and he wears three different masks at three different times. As if—as if God is joking about these things, or purposely tricking people, or something like that. And—and um, and where that comes down to, and where creeds are helpful, both as a statement of personal faith as well as a common confession of this is what we believe. To say that uh, you need to be a Trinity believing person if you want to be a Christian. Like that's the line. If you deny the Trinity, you are denying Christianity because you are denying the one true God of the Bible. And you, anybody who faithfully holds to that belief, is forfeiting not just forgiveness but also eternal life. Um, so that's, I guess, that's that's one the only, anecd- the only major anecdote that I've got about the, uh, you know, anti-Trinitarian groups, um, the other groups, you know, every, every group that does not confess the Trinity, we generally term them a cult. So the oneness Pentecostals are a cult. Um, so would be, you know, Muslim Islam is a cult. Um, Mormonism is a cult. Um, Jehovah's witnesses are, are a cult as an example. Yeah. Really, really, that was not on the Drudge Report today, (laughs) wow, that is, that is, I'm trying to pick my job off the floor, that is, I'm speechless, that never happens. Wow. So, yeah, that's interesting that uh, that the Mormons have have accepted same sex marriage as an official doctrine of their church, which which isn't a problem because um, you know, in in one sense, for them, because whatever the living prophet says is true that he has received as a vision, then they just receive that as truth, um, which is also one of the hallmarks of a cult that you've got somebody who can change doctrine to to their particular wants or desires or needs at the time. Yeah, very, very similar. Uh huh. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about um, the Roman Catholic Church in a in a slightly different slightly different context. In that, yes, they they bind consciences in an unscriptural way, and they they definitely teach something that is against Scripture. Um, but at the same time, they are they still confess the Trinity. And in a way, you know, they are still a means of grace church body, which in, in some ways we have more in common with them than with like the, the Baptists or the, uh, the Presbyterians, who are not a means of grace church body. Um, just that in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, the means of grace is the priest, so that all the sacraments have to be done by the priest, the confessing is done to the priest, that the priest is the one who doles out the tokens of grace to forgive your sin. Um, But yeah, that the issue of of the Pope, you know, adjusting, or (laughs) I I think it's more so um, updating official doctrine to match what people have already believed for 100 or 200 years or so.
0: Mm-hmm. So guilt is I don't remember the black mask And I'm looking through the, the most years because I know I need to stop trying to stop building. Right. So, yeah, so guilt guilt's a uh, big thing. It's a shame. It's a real shame. It's very sinful on the part of the people. Uh, people like me to have a young kid in is... school and go to eight o'clock mass in dark song that's you know, to... I mean, <laughs> okay have them teach instead of teaching salvation and hope and joy and, and all that teaching all the school and guilt so your spirit and doubt
1: Totally. I know. Almost, almost like you've had a very similar experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. mm-hmm
1: yeah uh-huh definitely yeah the um the 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 lutheran church is you know taxpayer subsidized i think in Germany
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yep and um and that's where our the church body that we're affiliated with or there's the elfk the evangelical lutheran free church um in that we are not we don't we don't accept money from the government and we are you know free from a lot of their own regulations as well yeah so I, i i did invite their uh the pastor there at saint paul to to come to our church sometime But um, that was a few years ago. I don't know if he's still there. Um, Well, tell them we have a church. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) That's wonderful. Usually, usually I can get, I can somebody, if I tell them, we'll get out, out to Bob Evans or Panera after like, that's, that's the hook. Or the the um, not to be too far off topic, like the American Hibachi known as Lawful House. <laughs> anyway, uh, top of the next page. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Back on topic, um, as we as we talk about the external and the internal works of the Trinity. Um, what do we know about the external works, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And I don't know if you had a note about this um from your reading um or just from your recollection. We'll start with Laura. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, and and so when we when we look at that, um, it kind of breaks out nicely in the way that the Apostles' Creed describes it as well, uh, because the Apostles' Creed is simply a statement of what we see in Scripture, um, and and the other thing, the other aspect of this is that when when God interacts with His creation, in particular. Um, the works outside of God, maybe we should talk about that first, the internal versus the external works of God. Uh, the internal works of God would be like the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, um, or they, they have a conversation among themselves um, within, within the Trinity. Um, the internal works are very easy to parse out. That the the father begets the or begot the son, the son is begotten of the father, um, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son. those are the major ones that are internal works. the external works um, conceptually we break it out into you know father is creator and and redeemer and sanctifier and and but sticking with that just a moment that even even whenever God enters one person of the Trinity, that the external works are really indivisible. Um, So that when we see in Genesis 1 and 2, or, you know, Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2, um, when God creates the world, we see all three persons of the Trinity there, and then John kind of unpacks that for us in John chapter 1, that through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Um, and so I think conceptually, it's very helpful to think of the different roles where maybe one or another person of the Trinity takes takes a more visible role or more a more leading role, um, but at the same time, recognizing that when God is acting upon his creation, that the works of, of God are really indivisible. Um, except when we get to the work of Jesus as our redeemer, because only the son became incarnate, that the father did not become incarnate. The Holy spirit did not become incarnate, but the son of God did. Um, and so, but even that, you know, when we, when we hear about that, when the angel announced it to, um, to Mary in Luke chapter one, and Mary's like, Mary asks, okay, Cool. I'm going to be a mom, but how is this going to be? Um, and Angel Gabriel says that the power of the Most High will come upon you, and the Holy then the Holy Spirit will or the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, um, and so the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, even there you see all three persons of the Trinity um, operating or working in the incarnation of the Son of God. Um, the power of the Most High overshadowing you and the Holy Spirit, you know, power of the Spirit coming upon you um, in the incarnation of the Son of God. Um, so, but then, you know, when we get to the specific works of redemption, that it is is—it is helpful to keep in mind because there are a few errors that we get into when we talk about the Trinity and in later chapters um, about people confusing the the persons of the trinity during you know different events in jesus life um and so the the main thing that we see is that you know the the primary work of the father creator um primary work of the the son is redeemer uh primary work of the holy spirit is sanctifier while at the same time recognizing apart from the work of jesus as our savior that the works of the the godhead as he acts upon his creation are Truly indivisible. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, and um, and John chapter one is the primary place where we look for that. Um, also, I think it's Colossians one or two um, talks about Jesus being the one in whom, through whom, all things were made, and in whom all things hold together. Um, and I think the other major point there is, is that already in the creation of the world, God sets the precedent that he prefers to act through means, through, through a particular tool, um, that God doesn't pre doesn't choose to act without a tool of some sort. And that, you know, the principle that we, that is, you know, fleshed out through the rest of the scripture that we see is that God is a means of grace, God that sure, he, can, he could act without, without a particular means, he could just think it and it would happen, um, but that he chooses to act through means, um, all the way from, you know, when we're talking about the creation of the world um, to, you know, the incarnation of, of the Son of God, well, he is logically the, the Son of Mary incarnation, all the way down to the present day, where he still um, calls faith into existence through spoken word. Or word that is remembered, or word that is um, proclaimed in the water of baptism. Anything else about the external works of the Trinity? <clears throat> the internal works. I think we on t- most of those, except for maybe that Galatians four verse six and the first just John four verse nine. So, you're thinking end of the New Testament. I always like to at least buy time for the catechism kids Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John, Jude, Revelation. So the easiest way to find First John would be go to the book of Revelation, and then it's like three or four pages before that. <laughs> I tell you the hint. The hint after after we run through the entire list of New Testament books, this will be uh, uh, First John four, four verse nine. And actually, uh, we'll look at uh, verses 7, 8, and 9 all together to have a volunteer to read. Otherwise, I can read. Okay, thank you, please. excellent thank you um so talking about internal works the what is the internal work that we see here um there are one or you might even say two internal works of the trinity from within the trinity And this is probably one of those that's uh, that's hiding, <laughs> hiding in an adjective there in verse, in verse 9. I th- think if you look um, after the colon in verse 9, this is how God's love for us was revealed. Um, that you could probably see two internal works. Uh, first, that God has sent the sending of the Son. And then secondly, that the Son is... Only begotten, um, and the most of the time, most of the time, the focus when we get to that term "begotten," um, and we also had that in um, John three verse sixteen, for God to so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Most of the time, the focus is that this Son is the one and only, which is also the other translation that God's so love the world that He gave His one and only Son, um, because. <laughs> And, and, and part of me wonders if, you know, the translation is also driven by the difficulty of trying to explain what it means to be begotten, <laughs> because um, that's, the, that's one of the two internal works of the Trinity that we see in this verse. Um, the first one that we see in, listed in, this, in verse 10 is God sending his son, and then the second one is John basically saying, oh yeah, this son is the only begotten son. Um, And so the, the sending of his son is the father, you know, speaking to the son and, um, and the son, you know, agreeing and saying, according to your will, I will go Um, that, that is, that's, that's a major, major point. Um, The begottenness of, of the son that the father has begotten the son, the son is begotten of the father. Um, And that this is an eternal thing the The difficulty in explaining the what what they call the eternal generation of the son, if you want the big like five dollar word tonight, <laughs> would be the eternal generation of the son that the son is eternally begotten of the father is the phrase that we most often use. Um, and so you know sometimes we try to understand this by analogy. Um, as if to say, you know, there was a time when your parents did not have you, when they maybe didn't know each other. And then, you know, maybe they were together for a while before, before you were born. There was a time when you were begotten. Um, and then that's typically traced by your birthday. Um, and so there's a time on a timeline when humans were begotten um, that, you know, when they were, and then when they were born. When we talk about the son being eternally begotten of the father, we're not talking about a starting point on a timeline because he has no beginning and no end. That as one of the three persons of the Trinity, the son of God is absolutely eternal without beginning and without end. And so the eternally begottenness of the son um, has to mean, I mean, the, the easiest way that I understand it at least is that it refers primarily to the relationship of the father and the son in that the father calls the son his son, and the son refers to God as his father, even during his ministry that Jesus says, you know, about the healing on the Sabbath day, that my father is at work on this day, and so I must be at work also. Um, that if the, father, if the son is eternally begotten of the father, as we confess in the creed, um, then that refers to the specific relationship of father and son. Um, and that that is the, re- the way that the relationship has always been described. And, you know, that goes along with God's chosen pronouns for himself, that God is a he, um, even though, even though God is a spirit, he has revealed himself using, you know, this masculine terminology um, of he, him, and, um, and also father and son as the relationship of the first two persons of the Trinity. Questions. So like, there's a gigantic book about that. That's like 400 pages long about what is the eternal, eternal generation of the sun. Um, I think I've got a few other books on my list before I get to that one. And uh, I'll let you know if I ever do, (laughs) but it's fascinating. I mean, once you get into it. Um, So there, in verse um, first, John four, verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but, or verse nine that God has sent, has sent. His only begotten Son, and then the fact that the Son is the only begotten, talking about um, two specific internal works of the Trinity in that verse. Any other questions? Mm-hmm. I, I like it cuz it's scripture but
0: <laughs> Uh uh-huh. yeah Mhm Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I, would, I would nuance that just a, just a little bit. Um, I think the easiest way when, you know, John 8, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, or before Abraham was, I am. Um, and then the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And then here, um, no one has ever seen God. Um, I think the easiest way to understand this verse, especially in the context of, um, duh, they walked with God for three years in his ministry, is to say that when John is saying nobody has ever seen God, that nobody has ever seen God in all of his his full and unveiled glory. Um, so that even during even during his ministry on earth, Jesus for the most part veiled um, or concealed his glory, um, so that because otherwise people would not be able to stand in his presence at all. And I think um, part of the part of the difficulty is um you know specific purpose of the Gospel of John versus especially first John um where the Gospel of John you know he is establishing and re reiterating the fact that this Jesus is the same true God who was at the very beginning, and here in first John he is especially dealing with um a heresy that that says God doesn't have a body and that um And that basically that turns the whole understanding of sin upside down. And so when he, when, when he's writing to that particular group and dealing with that false doctrine, that, um, that he says, well, first of all, God is love. And then uh, talking about how God revealed his love to us in that previous paragraph. um, And that the focus in verse 10, I think this was part of our one of our wedding readings. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. Um, what he's really what he's really establishing in that paragraph is that this son of God has a has a human body and is at the same time true God, who then laid down his that human life, that his life, as a sacrifice for sin. And then he comes around in the next paragraph to say um, that this, this sort of love is something that we ought to, ought to have among us as well. Um, and even though, and I think that kind of the linchpin that holds that together is there was this other group of false teachers who are saying, well, I can know God, I can approach God on my own, on my own merit, I'll just redefine sin to whatever feels comfortable for me, and I'm a spiritual person. Um, Yeah, the the group that he's writing to is almost identical to um, a lot of what we'll encounter in America today. And there's a fantastic book that was actually written by um, the Missouri Synod pastor who serves the University of Toledo and um, (laughs) fantastic book. I've got a copy of it, too. And where he talks about how our world today is just a reiteration of this. I'm spiritual, not religious. I'll just approach God on my own terms with my own understanding of sin. And it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And where he's saying, well, no one has ever seen God like time out. You can't just do this on your own. Um, And, and so I think, you know, First, John, if you think of them as like walking people back from the ledge of unbelief and just like spiritual blah, (laughs) walk them back from the ledge. And then you're like, okay, now come back to the Gospel of John and see this God who has revealed himself as a God uh, with a real human body who came to die an actual death for actual sin. Um, So I think like if you think of the Gospel of John, like the the entry level course and then the first John as like the the letter of rebuke to walk people back from a specific form of, of heresy or, or false belief. Um, I think that can be helpful. And then the other the other element of that also um, is hopefully we talk about the what is the talk about the essence of God and the attributes of God. I think we get into that in 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 this chapter. Um, that you know Jesus can say. That when you have seen me, you have seen the Father, because everything that God is, is there in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he's not lacking, you know, he's not lacking any attribute of God, um, even as he carries out his ministry, so that anybody who sees him can say, yes, I have seen God. I haven't seen God in all of his glory, but I have seen all that God is, to the extent that he's able to reveal himself to me as a sinful human being. Hopefully that's helpful. you know let it sit in the crock pot for a while. <laughs> Anything else? Um, I think that covered most of the the internal and external works of God. Let's go to that um, under the Holy Spirit. We'll go to the Galatians four verse six. I wouldn't be surprised if like the book of Galatians were the center of the New Testament. I haven't, I haven't looked at it and done any counting to be sure. Actually, it's probably a little bit past halfway through the New Testament. All right, Galatians 4, verse 6. So you're thinking, um, you know, book of Galatians, um, one of the main things here is that this is most likely Paul's very first letter after he does his first missionary journey, um, that's kind of a fish hook shape up into uh, up into Asia Minor, and then he goes back, and then he gets back to Jerusalem, and he's living. then he's living in Antioch for a while, and he hears that these Jewish that these believers are have fallen prey to a Jewish heresy, and so Paul hears about it, and he's like he's like sweating bullets. He's I got to write this letter to them right now. Um, so Galatians four verse six is where we are. Um, Reads like this, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to shout, Abba, Father. So talking about the internal works of the Trinity, particularly as they relate to the Holy Spirit, what is that internal work of the Trinity in this verse? Yeah, uh, a little bit before that. So you think of external works where God is acting upon His creation, um, and internal works where God is not. So the internal works are primarily talking about um, the you know discussions or the the actions from with the the three persons of the Trinity with each other. Yeah, yeah, that, that God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to say "Abba, Father." Um, so the the sending part that God sent, um, is the internal work. And then the fact that this, this, spirit, um, comes to a human heart and then creates that faith to be able to say, you know, father, um, is, is the external work <laughs> where, you know, the Holy spirit is the, the primary one, um, who does the converting, although the other two persons of the Trinity are still obviously in view. I think that that probably touches a little bit um, on what we talked about last time that the Holy spirit proceeds from the father and the son um, where most of the, uh, the the seat of doctrine or where we, where we look for that teaching is in John chapter 15 and 16. But I think this would also would also back that up. Any other questions or comments about um, the internal works of God?
0: Yeah. hmm 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 Yeah. hmm yeah. mm-hmm.
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah and i think the the other element to it um if you just think of the internal workings internal works of of the trinity as dealing with the relationship among the persons of the trinity So the relationship of a father to the son is that the son, the father has begotten the son, and then the son is begotten of the father, and that the father and the son send the Holy Spirit. Um, That if you think of the internal works as kind of those relationship, Trinity relationship works, I think that's that's probably a good uh, mental hook for that too. (laughs)
0: mm mm-hmm. <laughs> <He's been laughs> right mm-hmm 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 Mm-hmm.
1: hmm uh uh-huh. yeah yeah and i think I think kind of together with that that um that the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring to bring Christ to our lives um and that is that that he is the one who is tasked with um creating faith in that, and that he is the one who is sent by the Father and the Son. Um, and and I think, you know, coming at it from the other direction, if you think of it in the reverse, that, that there's really only one unforgivable sin, which is, you know, persistent unbelief. Um, and And the way that it's described, in scripture, um, as we try to try to piece it together from what we have about it in scripture, is that it's persistent unbelief from somebody who um, definitely knows better and who has in some way also um, experienced the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the the only example that we can probably point to would be the Pharisees. Who, who see the, the miracles that Jesus did and who um, heard what he taught and who at the same time said, you know, it's by the devil that he drives, drives out demons. Um, it's that persistent unbelief despite a, you know, very well-informed, better knowledge to the contrary. And the reason that it's the unforgivable sin is because that persistent unbelief cuts off the only pathway to forgiveness like every every other sin you know people might say, you know no matter how how minor or how horrible the sin may be, um, people are like, "Well, you know, I could never forgive somebody if they did that to to my family or whatever the case may be um, but really the, the those sins are forgivable because Jesus died and paid for all sin, and Jesus also died and paid for all the sins of the Pharisees, um, but through their persistent unbelief against better knowledge. Um, they they cut themselves off from any possibility of coming to faith, and thus receiving receiving their forgiveness. And so, in that sense, um, that might be helpful as as the kind of the reverse way of looking at it. That if persistent, um, unrepentant unbelief is the unforgivable sin, then perhaps it does open our eyes to say, well. In the Father and Son sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings us to Christ, um, and and that the Holy Spirit is talked about as this down payment of of an eternal home in heaven. That you know, and it is it is completely permissible to pray to any individual person of the Trinity, um, and if somebody feels a particular affinity toward one or the other, okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like our Father who art in heaven. Um, and and really, when we, because the the thing about prayer, um, is that what matters most is that is that it's done in faith, that uh, that like that's the bottom line, is that God shuts His ears to those who do not have faith, um, and that Christian prayer is always in Jesus' name, even if you don't say in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, and so, you know, when, when you say, our Father who art in heaven, or, you know, dear Jesus give me the strength, or, you know, Holy Spirit, please continue to, to comfort me exactly as you always have, um, that, that, that faith and that prompts the prayer is a faith that holds on to the, the triune God um so whether you're you know you, you could just imagine like you know god opens if if god had email or something like that uh, like the father's like oh i've got 50,000 messages today and the holy spirit's like i got 17 um it's not necessarily like that um but that <laughs> but that but that the prayer of faith is always addressed to to the one true god and that they are of of the same essence um that all that god is is in each of them as, as one unified essence. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And however, however, they, they discuss with one another or, um, or choose to act um, because even, even now, like you think of it as, as the works of the external works of God that Jesus Christ is described as um, the, you know, the Lord of the church and at the end of Matthew, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, um, speaking as both man and God, um, in particular, because as God, he always had all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, so that Jesus rules his church through the kingdom of faith that he has created, but that faith is created by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so it's kind of that same idea that when we see God interacting with his creation, even in answering prayers, um, maybe Jesus does restrain, actively restrain the evil of this world as he governs human history. And he also, together with the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to create faith so that his church would be able to better resist the evil of the world. And in that sense, you know, the prayer "Thy kingdom come" is is answered with more depth than we ever, you know, thought possible when we had simply prayed that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think I think together with that is um is that if you are praying. You know, as a Christian, you're already praying in Jesus name and that um, whether you whether you address it to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, your triune God, um, whatever the case may be, that in faith, you are already you're already approaching God through through in Jesus name, um, because that is that's the faith that made that prayer possible.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 hmm
1: Mhm. Mhm. We know that. that. Mhm. And and I think the it, it's you know we talked about the the reverse of the sin against the holy spirit and that in particular affinity that somebody might feel toward the Holy Spirit, um, and I think when you when you talk about God answering our prayers or hearing our prayers, that if the external works of the Trinity are indivisible, um, because because they are, then the you know, then perhaps the the prayers, however God has chosen to answer them, um, it. We, we can't parse out all the possibilities because God will act upon all of them um, in whatever way that he sees fit from whatever contribution each person in the Trinity supplies. All right, how about the attributes of God? This will probably, probably wrap us up because we, we will spend a little bit more time talking about um, the will of God next time. The attributes of God... Nearly every attribute of God has a law side or a gospel side. They can be, in one sense, terrifying, and in another sense, hugely comforting. Um, there are some lists, especially beginning on page 108 all the way through 121, when we talk about different attributes of God. Um, talk, identify two attributes of God that can be both terrifying and comforting to you. Discuss your rationale. Well, uh, let's just touch on some of those. What are some of the attributes of God? First of all, what is an attribute? <laughs> when we say an attribute of God, what do we mean? All right, something that he possesses and uh, and something that he is and also something that he does. Um, so uh, perhaps a good synonym would be a characteristic characteristic. Um, but, but not just like, you know, I, my, one of my characteristics is I have brown hair, um, you know, for another year or two, probably. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that, that might be your char- a characteristic, but human characteristics can be very passive, that all of God's characteristics are, are active characteristics. Not just that he's, he's holy because he doesn't sin, but also he's holy in an active way, that he is actively holy um, in, in acting upon that, that holiness, as well as maintaining that holiness. <coughs> um, <clears throat> I think he said that in this section, that um, like when we talk about the omnipresence of God, that everywhere that everywhere God is, he is present with all of his attributes to bring blessings for his Christians. Um, and everywhere that God is, he is actively doing something. And so, you know, the, the funny example or the the cool example, I guess, is that, you know, if God is omnipresent, that means he's present everywhere, um, that he's present, you know, here, He's present in a, in a special way among his church. He's present in, a, in an even more special way in the sacrament of Holy Communion, but he's present everywhere so that, you know, your table retains all the, the qualities of a table that were designed into it. Um, and so that your chair doesn't fly apart into, into atoms um, as we sit on it. Um, that God is present in making sure that, that all of that retains its, you know, the characteristics that he gave to it. And that it carries out the form or the function that was assigned to it. All right. Anything about the attributes of God? Any that, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That God is spirit, um, and (laughs) and and that means that he is um, that he is able to be present everywhere. Um, and at the same time that the that the sun is is also true man now in a glorified state as well as being truly spirit, yeah mm mm-hmm. so... yeah and the major the major thing about you know not that these attributes are in and of themselves terrifying but um, but because of our sin they are and they are terrifying also they remain terrifying to those who are outside of the faith Um, and the example that Professor Bivens had used um, in dogmatics class this was boy 12 years ago was when he was visiting one of his members in a hospital and it was, you know, a double room. So a sheet down the middle and he visits his member, reads Psalm 139. "Um, Even if I go to the far side of the sea, there you are. If I go to the depths, there you are. Um, Your hand will hold me fast. And his member, you know, exceptionally comforted, like, you know, thank you, pastor. Because I was kind of feeling all alone, but you said, I'm not. And then um there's a voice from the other side of the, the curtain, <laughs> pastor, what do you mean? And he looks over and, uh, and this guy's like, absolutely terrified. Like in, in a sense, like I can't get away. Um, because, because that, the man on the other side of the curtain hadn't had, didn't know about forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And thus these, these attributes of God, which in and of themselves are just, you know, an, a bare attribute of God is neither terrifying. It's, 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 only glorious but because of our sin um, then it does become terrifying and it can be terrifying and if um, if that sin is not you know taken away or there's no consciousness of forgiveness then um, then it remains terrifying but it really depends on your relationship to it you know um, or the other illustration that you, you might think of is you know standing at a train station if you've ever done that um, and you hear the train is coming, <laughs> coming around the bend um, <laughs> for the Johnny Cash fans. Um, if you hear the train is coming, you know, it's it's a comforting thing if that train is going to take you to go visit some relatives that you haven't seen in a long time. But it's a terrifying thing if you're stuck on the tracks and you can't get off the tracks um, because it depends on your relationship to the train and where you stand in relation to that train. Um, if you're standing there, you know, with when you talk about the attributes of God with this knowledge of forgiveness, then these attributes only serve to inspire awe and and love and adoration um, and then can it be applied with comfort and you know gospel comfort because it's cloaked in gospel truth. Um, but those same attributes uh, will be seen in all of their glory when Jesus returns and there's going to be two reactions um, those who, those who do have that relationship of forgiveness and, and faith, and those who do not. And it's going to be two totally different scenarios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that God's justice and holiness. Um, even as we see in some, of like I think it's Revelation twelve, um, talking about the saints who had been been beheaded underneath the altar, um, that God's justice and holiness is is something that that Christians and believers always always rejoice about. Um, that God's justice, that God's judgment is just, um, and and and. Sometimes we're a little bit uncomfortable about that because we're like, well, what, is, what does that mean for, you know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Well, neither do I, neither does God. Um, but at the same time, if you, you flip it around, that if God's judgment is just about sin, then God's judgment also is just when he has accounted his own son as, um, as the one who has atoned for sin. Um, and so if we are to say, you know, God's justice and holiness are something we applaud, that's the same, that's the same sphere as saying um, that we rejoice at our forgiveness. And if somebody is like, you know, I'm terrified of God's justice and holiness, well, that's because they are, have, don't know about or, you know, have rejected the, the forgiveness that is given in Jesus. Anything else as we wrap up? fastest hour on television, right? (laughs) So next time, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the attributes of God, and then get into the will of God. And there's a few discussion items there. And um, I think, well, actually, we won't, we won't meet next week, because there is a turkey holiday next week. That was a a cartoon where this um this turkey had gone to see like some some medium or spiritist, and the spiritist or medium you know fortune teller says, "I see you surrounded by family. The turkey's like, "Hey, but it's not your family <laughs> anyway we'll close, we'll close with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for the relationship which you have created. We thank you for sending your spirit uh, to create faith. We thank you for giving your life and your righteousness for ours. Uh, We ask that you continue to keep us strong in this truth and um, continue to give us comfort in all that we continue to learn about you, both the works that you act upon creation, as well as those that are above and beyond our understanding. Um, We thank you most of all for that promise of forgiveness and of your undying favor through our risen and ever-living Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.